Welcome back to the Dirsch Show. Uh, you know, I've been a lawyer now for almost 60 years. I'm about to attend the 60th reunion of my Yale Law School uh, a class. And I've often been asked, what have I learned in, in 60 years? <laughs> well, a lot of things, but I think much of it can be summarized in a sense of, of distrust. Of distrust. Uh, the United States Constitution is based on distrust. It's based on checks and balances. It's not supposed to be an efficiency mechanism. It's based on we're not sure. We're just not sure. Americans, show me. We're not sure. Prove it. And I think the one specific thing I learned in my 60 years, particularly since I've been practicing in courts all over the world, uh, is never credit a witness who is not subject to cross-examination and confrontation. Never, ever credit such a witness as the great Blackstone, the man who basically founded the law on which the United States is based, once said, Cross-examination is the greatest engine of truth ever invented by human beings, which is precisely why the Democrat majority on the House committee on January 6th has abolished cross-examination and confrontation. They rigged the committee, but only people who support their narrative on it and have not asked one hard question of a single witness. Not one hard question. Not one confrontation. Not one cross-examination. Not one bit of evidence that contradicted their narrative. Don't trust them. Don't believe it. Now, I watched it today, and it seemed very believable. I thought the witnesses were very persuasive. You had conservative Republicans, secretaries of state, who were testifying that Trump was dead wrong about the election being rigged. You had two African-American women who presented an extraordinarily sympathetic uh, story about how they have been treated. How can I tell you, don't trust them? Because you haven't heard the other side. You haven't heard any of these witnesses subjected to the, the truth-testing mechanisms of confrontation and cross-examination. They, they, every word they said may have been true. Don't trust them. Demand cross-examination. Demand confrontation. Demand that the other side be presented. I'm soon going to come to trial. Some of you know I have a couple of lawsuits pending. I want to get CNN. Um, for doctoring uh, my tape. I have one against a woman I never met and never heard of who falsely accused me of having sex with her, even though her lawyer says she's wrong, simply wrong. But imagine in either of those trials, if one side were allowed to present evidence and the other side were not allowed to cross-examine. You know, if you do a deposition and there's no cross-examination, the deposition is not admissible. Of course, it may be truthful. It may be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, but we don't trust it. We don't trust it. 
because in the United States of America, we don't trust one-sided presentations, whether they're in 2,000 mules or whether they're in a congressional hearing. If the other side isn't presented, have doubts, challenge, make sure that you hear all sides of every issue. 2,000 mules would have been 10 times more persuasive if they had some skeptics on the panel who had some doubts, if they had people who would question some of the findings. Yeah, when I saw, you know, those mail drops and things of that kind, I had my doubts, I wondered, but then the there was no opportunity to examine them. So, so I don't trust 2,000 mules. Maybe it's probable cause to conduct further investigations. And the same thing is true <clears throat> with the January 6th committee. I don't trust them. I don't trust their conclusions. By the way, they're also acting completely ultra-virus. Congress doesn't have the power to just expose people. That was McCarthyism. Congress is supposed to have hearings designed to create new laws to fix problems. Have you heard a single word, a syllable about how to fix this system? I have ideas. I know how to fix this system. They're not interested in hearing from me or from anybody else. They're not interested in improving the system. They're only interested in casting blame and preventing the reelection of President Trump. Look, I'm not a Trump supporter. I didn't vote for him in either election. And my concerns are not about who gets elected. That's up to the American public. But I want a fair process. And this is not a fair process. This idea of just <clears throat> exposing for exposure's sake, why don't they have somebody who suggests how to solve this problem in, in the future? Look, <clears throat> Millions and millions of Americans are distrustful of the system. And they're not distrustful, by the way, because lawsuits have been brought. They're distrustful because the facts give rise to some basis for distrust. I don't happen to support the distrust in this instance of this past election, but I think there are grounds to worry about future elections. I do think this is something I've changed my mind on because I've been persuaded by the evidence. I now do think that changing over from voting in a voting booth guarded by election officials to most people voting at home uh, without controls, without efforts to prevent coercion or is a problem. I think it's a problem. And I think we should have hearings on mail-in ballots. We should have hearings, hearings on how far in advance people should be allowed to vote. Should it be a month? Should it be two weeks? Should it be a week? Should it be only available to people who have excuses if they're old, if they're infirm, or should it be available to, to everybody? And what happens if there's a challenge to an election? Remember, this is not our first challenge. This may be one of the weakest ones, but it's not the first. Tilden Hayes, Jefferson Burr, um, obviously Bush versus Gore. And in the United States, we have no mechanism for resolving these issues. In Israel and in many other countries, there are commissions. And if you have a problem with an election, you bring it to a commission. The commission isn't Democrats. 
the commission isn't Republicans. The commission, in some countries at least, are completely nonpartisan scientists, academics, ministers, uh, CEOs, college presidents, people, the Walter Cronkites of the generation, people who are trusted. And either side can bring a complaint before these election commissions and the election commissions can do its own investigation. They have a staff of honest people, people who don't vote for a particular party to assess whether these claims of election mistakes, election frauds, machines, mail-ins are appropriate or not. And, and the American public would trust such a commission if it were properly selected. No, I don't want Nancy Pelosi picking it. I don't want McCarthy picking it. I don't want Donald Trump picking it. I don't want Joe Biden picking it. I don't want that to have anything to do with it. I want it to be done in a way that assures neutrality, assures that it passes the shoe on the other foot test. I want to make sure that both parties are satisfied with this. Look, the blame for this belongs to both parties. Um, there were efforts to try to have a commission like the 9-11 commission look at this election and look at what happened on January 6th. The Republicans vetoed that. And then the Democrats vetoed Republicans being on the committee, except for Republicans who were in favor of Trump's impeachment and in favor of the Democratic uh, narrative. So there's enough fault to go around here. But there hasn't been a word about the future. There hasn't been a word about what's in the best interest of the American people. There hasn't been a word about what legislation can be enacted to solve some of these problems. The realities are that millions and millions of Americans don't trust the electoral system. Blame it on Trump. Blame it on uh, Bush versus Gore. Blame it on whoever you want to blame it. The reality is, and it's a tragic reality, that too many Americans do not have faith in the process by which American elections are conducted. I have general faith in that process. I think in general, the elections have produced fair outcomes. I do believe, and I've said this before, I think that Al Gore was elected president of the United States. I think that more uh, Floridians wanted to vote and actually thought they voted for Al Gore than for his opponent. Um, I, I, I may be biased. I represented the voters of Palm Beach County, the butterfly ballot that affected uh, many hundred votes, more than the amount of difference that gave Florida and gave the presidency to uh, Bush. And I, I know, it's not, it's not that I think, I know with 100% certainty that hundreds of people in Palm Beach County who, because of the butterfly ballot, erroneously voted for an anti-Semite named Pat Buchanan. Many of those who voted for him were Jewish uh, because they thought they were voting for Joe Lieberman, who was the first Jew ever to be on a presidential ballot, cost, cost Al Gore the election. And we never try to figure out how to stop that. Uh, every single ballot should be subjected to a commission and should be approved in advance there was no excuse for the butterfly ballot. The butterfly ballot was an invitation to voters voting for people they didn't want to vote for, casting an erroneous vote. And so there's a lot to be done to improve the process. You don't have to believe that 
any of the past elections were flawed. I believe the 2000 election was flawed. I wrote a book about it called Supreme Injustice. Read it, disagree with it, whatever you want. I do believe the 2000 election was deeply, deeply flawed. Um, I, I think the Tilden Hayes election had real problems. And of course, we know that the Jefferson Burr election had real problems because they amended the Constitution shortly thereafter to prevent a recurrence of that uh, constitutional mistake um, by which uh, electors voted separately for the president and the vice president, almost assuring a tie uh, between the president and the vice president, which is, which is what happened in, in 1800. So our system's not perfect. We don't demand perfection. Perfect is the enemy of the, of the good. But uh, there's a lot more we can do. We are frittering away our national resources by having these partisan committees. And I predict that when the Republicans, if they do take over the House, which they probably will, not because of this, but probably because of the economy, which is not completely, obviously, the fault of the sitting president, but the sitting president and the party in power always has to be blamed for uh, a crummy economy. But I suspect the crummy economy, COVID, the war in Ukraine, will probably result in the House being taken over by Republicans. And I worry that the precedent established by the Democrats will be followed by the Republicans. And whoever the Speaker of the House is will convene a new committee and we'll get new truths and we'll get uncross-examined testimony and we'll get maybe a Democrat. Uh, I don't even know if they'll be able to find a Democrat uh, to serve on the committee who will serve their interests, who will present that narrative. It was a lot easier for the Republicans uh, to have uh, somebody who was against Trump than it will be for the Democrats to produce somebody who's against the Democratic side. But the precedents are there. And then, you know, you hear so much about lies. The president told lies. The president told this. The president told that. There are lies on the other side. I mean, you know, I'll hold Professor Lawrence Tribe up to any liar uh, in terms of some of the things that he has said over the years. He has a knack for just being wrong. And he's smart enough so that I think many of his wrong conclusions are, are quite willful. He knows that President Trump did not commit attempted murder against Vice President Pence, but but he says it. He knows that Michael Avenatti was not qualified to be president but because he was against Trump. He said uh, things that would lead one to believe that he was endorsing uh, Michael uh, Avenatti. We've heard so many things from, from Democrats that might qualify, if not as serious mistakes or errors in judgment, even as mendacious uh, falsehoods. So there's too much of that to go around and it has to stop. And we are supposed to have a system of checks and balances and Congress today does not have a system of checks and balances within Congress. That's supposed to be served by making sure that every committee of Congress is comprised of a larger number of people from the party in control, but a smaller number in proportion to the amount of votes they have in in Congress. Uh, such uh, proportionality would probably have resulted in something like 12 Democrats and nine Republicans, or, or maybe some different numbers than that, but not 
very much different than that. It certainly would have resulted in all Democrats, plus the only two Republicans, basically, who voted to impeach Trump, one of whom is not running again and may emerge as a Democrat in later years, the other of whom is likely to lose the Republican nomination for, for Congress. I mean, what a stacked, what a skewed, what an unfair committee. It's, it's a scandal even to call it uh, a committee. It's just a one-sided presentation of narratives. Now, you know, they've done a decent job for a one-sided presentation. But that's not what Congress is supposed to be doing. Again, Congress is supposed to mostly be thinking about the future. What kind of legislation can we have to prevent a recurrence of the doubts that so many people had in the outcome of this election? Not a word, not a syllable, nothing about the future, nothing about legislation. All it is is finger pointing, blame shifting, doing things that are designed to help the Democrat narrative and to produce partisan electoral uh, benefits. That's not what Congress is supposed to be doing. And so, again, I'm going to continue to watch the committee, but I am not going to believe a single word or credit a single word just based on how nice the people appear and how compelling they appear. Especially, you watch a videotape, you don't know whether it's been doctored. Let me tell you, it has been doctored. We know that on the first day, the first evening, the Democrats presented a doctored videotape, a doctored videotape. They said this is the speech that President Trump made, and they left out his key words. I want you to go down to the Capitol and peacefully and patriotically have your voices be heard. You might disagree with those words. You might say you didn't mean it. You can't doctor the videotape. Do you know why we won the O.J. Simpson case? We didn't win the O.J. Simpson case. Uh, actually, we didn't win it at all. The other side lost it. The prosecution lost it. But they didn't lose it. We didn't win it um, because we proved uh, the defendant was, was uh, innocent. Uh, what we proved was that the prosecution had tampered with one item of evidence, one item of evidence. There was a sock that was found. Uh, on O.J. Simpson's floor, and it had in O.J. Simpson's blood and the blood of his victims. That was a great piece of evidence, too good to be true. I was actually one of the people who discovered this. And um, uh, we analyzed the, the sock and found several things. First, the blood on it didn't have any EDTA. Any, any, uh, I mean, it did have, the blood had EDTA, uh, which is a, um, a uh, substance that is not in the human body, but is in test tubes to preserve the blood. And therefore, there was proof that the blood on the sock was poured from a test tube, didn't come from the body. And also the blood splatter testimony showed that it was put on the sock when the sock was lying flat. We caught them! We caught them! We discovered one major piece of evidence that was flawed, and the jury said to itself, if there's one piece of evidence that was made up by the police, how can we believe anything else? And they acquitted because the prosecution lost the trust of the jurors. And I think the same thing is happening here. Uh, you have the first day they doctor a tape. Then they refuse to allow any cross-examination. They refuse to allow any confrontation. And in the end, not a single mind is going to be changed. 
I have a friend of mine, a very smart guy, we went to college together, or we went to camp together, and he writes to me all the time. He says, did you see this? Did you see this? Hey, this is so compelling. This is so wonderful. Aren't you upset? Aren't you concerned? And I write back and I say, hey, I'm concerned. I am upset if this is true. I don't trust it. I want to hear cross-examination. I want to hear confrontation. I want to hear the other side. You, you've drunk the Kool-Aid. Uh, you're just listening to one side. You, you want that side to be true, and therefore you're going to believe it without regard to whether due process was followed. So, you know, continue to watch the hearings, but watch them with real skepticism. And when the other side presents its case, watch that with a skepticism, not during these hearings, because they're not going to get to present it during these hearings, but in years to come or in movies or anything else. Be skeptical. That should be the motto on coins instead of in God we trust. It should be in nobody we trust. Or be skeptical or show doubt, uh, challenge. Uh, uh, that's really what America is, is all about. Speaking of challenges, so let's look at some of the questions that I got um, uh, today. Here's one. I take issue with the false equivalency of Trump's peaceful and patriotically let your voices be heard with Schumer's calling out of Supreme Court justices by name on the steps of the Supreme Court. And then he, he quotes them in part, you will reap a whirlwind is a threat. And it gave license to those lawless protests intended to intimidate justices into changing their vote. What else could you reap the whirlwind mean? Uh, another way to degrade the rule of law. Well, actually, you didn't even quote the worst part of Schumer's statement in front of the Supreme Court. He says you will reap the whirlwind. You will pay the price. You won't know what hit you. Now, the reason you didn't put in you won't know what hit you is you may have been watching CNN. CNN doctored the tape of Schumer, and they left out the part you won't know what hit you, which to me is the most damning part of the speech hit you, what hit you, that suggests that he is going to be or they are going to be subject to violence. Hit you means attack you violently. And that's what Schumer uh, said. Now, the difference between Schumer and Trump is Schumer weaseled out, tried to apologize, said, hey, I come from Brooklyn. I didn't mean it. Hey, hey, I come from Brooklyn, too. But I don't say things like that about people. Coming from Brooklyn is no excuse. It insults Brooklyn. And I won't take that. Insulting Brooklyn. Schumer, you know, I've known you from the day or when you were in law school. Not well. I've worked with you uh, over the years. I worked with you on the Clinton impeachment. But you're wrong this time. You're wrong. You should not be attacking Supreme Court justices in this way and issuing what might be interpreted by some as, as, as dog whistles. And we ought to be equally concerned with threats on the right and on the left, Democrats and Republicans. Violence knows no party, and it shouldn't be tolerated by either party. Next question. Mr. Dershowitz, I agree that Trump is not guilty of attempted murder, but do you believe Trump is guilty of any crime at all? So here's a very important distinction that nobody in the committee has brought up. That, of course, Professor Tribe didn't bring up and that um, really none of the others have brought up. There is an enormous difference between an act that is unlawful, unlawful, 
and an act that's criminal. I'll give you some common examples. The police fail to warn a defendant uh, of his Miranda rights before they interrogate him. That's unlawful. That's against the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution. It's unlawful, but it's not a criminal. Um, and there are so many things like that that are unlawful. And even if you believe that what President Trump did, trying to get states to uh, change their votes, trying to influence um, secretaries of state, trying to uh, bring lawsuits, even if you could persuade me that these acts were unlawful and consistent with the Constitution, that doesn't make them criminal. For something to be criminal, it must specifically be in violation of a clear criminal statute. You know, Jefferson said criminal statutes have to be so clear that it could be understood if it's being read by somebody while walking. In other words, he conjures up this image of you're reading a law book, you're walking and chewing gum, and you're reading the statute and it has to be so clear that you can understand it while you're walking. No. So I do not believe that President Trump um, is guilty, I, I wait more evidence, but based on the evidence I've heard, of any violations of the federal criminal law. Now, I don't know about his tax returns. I don't know about his business dealings. I'm talking about January 6th. I'm talking about the events surrounding the election. I have seen no evidence that would suggest a violation of federal criminal statutes. And the burden of proof is pretty heavy on those who would argue that the former president of the United States is guilty of crimes as distinguished from trying to engage in, in unlawful behavior. A lot of things are unlawful that are not criminal. Okay, Mr. Dershowitz, after observing the ideology of Professor Lawrence Tribe and the prosecutorial conduct of Andrew Weissman, are you in fear of the future of the rule of law? Yeah, I am. I'm very worried that the law today is being weaponized that the Constitution by people like uh, Lawrence Tribe is a tactic. It's a tactic. It's to be manipulated and used by your side to win. It's not an objective document that is not designed to produce winners and losers. So, so I am doing that. Please do a show that tells us how to fix it or a show on why we might have faith in the system. Thank you for your time. I can't do a show that tells you to have faith in the system. I don't have faith in the system. One of the reasons I'm a lawyer is because I don't have faith in the system. I want to be able to also use the system to produce justice, to make sure that my clients and people in general, because I'm a civil liberties lawyer, uh, are not victimized by a, a deeply flawed system. If the system were perfect, I'd become a doctor. Uh, it's because the system is imperfect that I became a lawyer. And uh, I hope to, you know, to paraphrase the framers of the Constitution to create a more perfect union, to be, create a more perfect legal system. We'll never get there, but it's a process. You know, the, the Bible says, Tzedek, Tzedek, Tirdof, justice, justice, must you run after. Tirdof means to chase after. It suggests that the struggle for justice will never stay one. It's not static. It has to be constantly uh, pursued. And that's what we, we try to do.
Mr. Dershowitz, you say the tribe hasn't crossed the line into calling for violence, but is that actually true when he knowingly makes false statements in an attempt to have an innocent person prosecuted for attempted murder? I submit that he's advocating for state violence. Well, there's a difference between state violence and individual uh, violence. State violence is, in a case like this, more or less uh, a metaphor. And now this is a typical one, and it's so stupid. It's by Scott Bowling. Joe Biden literally couldn't get 10 people to come to one of his rallies. First of all, that's true. He got hundreds of people to come to his rallies. Trump had two or three rallies a day and had 50,000 people at each of them. How are we supposed to believe that Joe Biden got more votes than anyone in history? No one believes it. I believe it. Um, um, I think most Americans believe it. One of the reasons he got more votes than any president in history is we have more people voting than we've ever had in history. So who do you think got the second highest number of votes in history? Donald Trump. Uh, so don't be surprised. Of course, he got 80 million votes. And there's a big difference between the ability to rouse a crowd uh, in, in, a, in a rally and the ability to get them to vote for you. If, if there weren't that difference, Trump would be, in fact, the president. But he's not. He's not the president. Biden is. You voted for Biden and Hillary? Good Lord, dude. I want to like you, but I have to question your beliefs and convictions. Both of these people are known to be involved in criminal activities. You're making the same mistake the tribe makes. You're accusing people of criminal activities. You are connected, and so you will be aware. And yet, here you are, seemingly proud of your vote. I am proud of my vote. Do I think that Clinton would have made a perfect president? No. Do I think that Biden has made a perfect president? No. Uh, I pick, I vote based on the alternatives. Farthest at least and begs the question, how do you expect to be trusted? Well, I don't want to be trusted. I want to be confronted. I want people to evaluate me based on, on all the evidence. And, and believe me, in the, in the months to come, I will be subject to grueling cross-examination. And uh, uh, I anticipate it. Um, so come back tomorrow. We'll do more of this. Please send me more brilliant letters. If you have to send me stupid letters, I'll read some of those uh, too. But uh, don't tell me, don't tell me that Trump won by a landslide or that Biden couldn't get any votes. Uh, Biden ran a campaign. He got a lot of votes. Uh, if you don't like him as president, there's another election coming around pretty soon for Congress in a few months for president in two and a half years. That's what America is all about. Vote your conscience.